SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, welcome to Night TV Radio this Friday, November 25. Coming up in your program today, leading up to Victoria's state election tomorrow, November 26. The Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organization convened a questions night where First Nations people from across Victoria put to politicians of all stripes issues that matter to them. At the event, the community were able to ask questions with no holds barred while political and community leaders provided answers on how to address them. Auntie Jill Gallagher Virtual CEO says though the event is the first of its kind in Victoria, it won't be the last one and it also ushered in a new era of holding politicians accountable. On NITV Radio, we also bring you a yarn with Leila Smith, CEO of the Aurora Education Foundation, discussing the recent merger of Aurora and the Roberta Sykes Indigenous Education Foundation scholarships and bursaries. This development aims to strengthen Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leadership in education. Your program will also turn its attention to Tasmania with a new development whereby ancient rock carvings by Tasmanian Aboriginal ancestors began their journey from museums across Hobart and Launceston back to their ancestral lands. All these and uh, many more coming to you on uh, NITV Radio after the latest news. Bertrand Tungandami Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. This bulletin new survey reveals racism against First Nations people on the rise. The Home Affairs Minister meeting Western Sydney mayors opposed to the repatriation of Australians linked to Islamic State fighters. And a report to shed light on how and why Scott Morrison took on multiple ministries when he was a Prime Minister. First Nations people are confronting a rise in racism according to a survey that measures the relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Experiences of racism have increased compared to previous findings from the 2020 and 2018 Australian Reconciliation Barometer. Reconciliation Australia's Karen Mandin says this increase is concerning and could be due to a number of factors, including a lack of education surrounding racism and a failure to monitor online acts of racism. She says allyship is key to addressing the issue. 
what it really is telling us is this is where we need to focus our efforts. This is where those interpersonal relationships need to be strengthened. We need greater understanding about what racism is. And also, this is where, from a reconciliation perspective, we need our allies to step up and step in. A more positive survey outcome is that 89% of the Australian population believe the relationship between First Nations and non-Indigenous Australians is important. There was also strong support for treaty, with 72% of non-Indigenous Australian support. Federal Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek claims the Jukan Gorge destruction will happen again unless Australian, Australia enhances cultural protection laws. The announcement comes before the government's response to a parliamentary report on the destruction of Western Australian rock shelters more than a year after an inquiry recommended over, overhauling related laws. In May 2020, mining giant Rio Tinto blew up the 46,000-year-old Jukan Caves, devastating traditional owners. Ms. Plibersek says the gorgeous demolition is legal under current legislation, but these laws are set to be revised. We've said that we will work with the First Nations Heritage Protection Alliance, an organisation that was set up after the Jukan Gorge destruction, uh, made up of uh, around 30 Uh, Aboriginal organisations from across the country um, will sit down with the uh, First Nations Heritage Protection Alliance and co-design stronger laws to give better protection to Aboriginal cultural heritage. Three Western Sydney mayors are meeting with Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill to discuss their opposition to the repatriation of Australian women and children from Syrian detention camps. The Australians are linked to Islamic State fighters and arrived in Sydney last month following a secret operation approved by the federal government. The mayors of Liverpool, Campbelltown and Fairfield are to receive a security briefing from Ms O'Neill. Fairfield Mayor Frank Carboni says resettlements in western Sydney could be re-traumatising for community members who fled Islamic State violence. We need to understand that uh, we've resettled tens of thousands of people that actually fleed ISIS. A lot of these communities have had their homes lost, their lands taken away, have seen their family members decapitated and murdered in front of them. These memories don't go easy. Uh, these, are, these are traumatic instances that have happened and it, it wasn't that long ago. And for the government to actually uh, come out and to say they're going to resettle them in Western Sydney and perhaps uh, have, the, uh, have them go to the same schools, living in the same streets, living next door to people, uh, this is quite insensitive and it is a traumatic experience. A report into how and why Scott Morrison took on multiple ministries when he was Prime Minister is due to be handed to the federal government. To also cover who knew the former leader had appointed himself to administer the departments of health, home affairs, finance and industry, science, energy and resources. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese commissioned an inquiry into the portfolio issue after the Solicitor General found Mr Morrison's actions had fundamentally undermined the principles of responsible government. The report may include recommendations that could provide greater transparency and accountability. The government has pledged to start work on implementing any recommendations as early as next week. Candidates in Victoria's state election have just one more day of campaigning before polling day tomorrow, Saturday, November 26. More than 1.6 million people have voted early or via post, equating to 37% of those enrolled in the state. 
Premier Daniel Andrews broke with tradition to cast his ballot earlier, posting a picture of himself on social media, voting alongside wife and two of his children. Australia has its first female astronaut with University of New South Wales graduate Dr. Megan Christian selected as part of the European Space Agency's 2022 class of reservists. She will represent the United Kingdom, Kingdom having been born there. The materials scientist and atmospheric physicist moved to Australia aged five and went to school in Wollongong. As a reservist astronaut, she will retain her day job but will receive a consultancy contract and astronaut training. She's told the ABC she's already spent time in extreme places. In 2019, I did a winter over at Concordia Station, which is a French-Italian base in Antarctica, and right in the middle of Antarctica, so a long way from anything. We were completely isolated, a crew of 13 people for, for nine months of that year. And I was there doing atmospheric physics and meteorology, looking, looking after those observatories. And then I went back again uh, right in the middle of the pandemic. So I've been there twice now. More than a dozen Afghan women have protested briefly in Kabul on the eve of the UN's International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Demonstrators were calling for their rights to be recognised after being pushed out of public life since the Taliban's return to power in August last year. Small groups have staged flashed protests that are usually quickly shut down, sometimes violently. Most of the group wore dark sunglasses, their heads covered with a veil and faces obscured by surgical masks. One sign read, we will fight for our rights to the end and we will not surrender, as Taliban fighters kept a close watch over the proceedings. Women have lost a host of rights since the Taliban takeover, including losing their jobs and being barred from traveling without a male relative. Power has been restored to two of Ukraine's four nuclear power plants as the nation struggles to maintain energy sources in the face of Russian missile strikes. With temperatures close to freezing, authorities say electricity has been restored to three-quarters of the capital, Kiev, and water is working again in some areas. But much of the country remains consigned to frigid darkness due to Russian attacks on energy infrastructure. The United Nations Human Rights Council has voted to appoint an independent investigation into Iran's deadly repression of protests. The motion was, pre- was presented by Germany and Iceland. The mission will collect evidence of abuses in Iran as protests continue. Early, the UN Rights Commissioner Volker Turk demanded that Iran end its dis- disproportionate use of force in quashing demonstrations that have followed the death in custody of a 22-year-old Kurdish woman in September. The old methods and the fortress mentality of those who wield power simply don't work. In fact, they only aggravate the situation. We are now in a full-fledged human rights crisis. Back home, indigenous rapper Baker Boy has won five ARIA awards, including Album of the Year, Best Solo Artist and Best Hip Hop Rapper Release. In an acceptance speech last night, he thanked his many fans and those who played a part in his success. And especially to the original Baker Boys for making me to who I am. And so I just want to say thank you to all you mob, you beautiful people. You mob have a beautiful night tonight. 
the late Achiroch was awarded Best Independent Release for one song. Bujarao, who won Best Soul and R&B Release, was part of a tribute to the indigenous singer-songwriter. Well, he was one of my heroes. I, I was very blessed to actually meet Uncle Archie one time when I was very young. And, uh, you know, a lot of the first songs I learned were his songs, you know, when I started playing music. And um, to honour him really, you know, means the world to me. It's so special. And to sport, and Ghana's coach has complained about the officiating, the officiating in his side's 3-2 defeat by Portugal at the World Cup, saying Cristiano Ronaldo's history-making goal was a gift from the referee. The Portuguese striker converted a penalty to hunt his side the lead and become the first man to score at five World Cups. Ghana's coach Otto Ado says he believes the referee made the wrong decision. A goal by Ghana in the 89th minute delighted this football fan. I found the game really interesting. It was really amazing to see five goals in 45 minutes. Ghana was pretty good. The last minute trick almost had Portugal. In other results, the clash between Uruguay and South Korea ended goalless. Switzerland has recorded a 1-0 victory over Cameroon and Brazil has defeated Serbia two goals to nil. Socceroos defender Milos Dejnik says Australia's next match at the World Cup will be more about heart and fight than technical ability. The team take on Tunisia in Doha tomorrow. The team that loses will exit the tournament after the group stage. Dejnik knows the Socceroos have no room for error after losing 4-1 to France. We have to win this game to set ourselves up for the game against Denmark. And I believe in the squad. I don't think we'll change anything for anyone. I think we have to stay the same. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, a mostly cloudy day, 29, Perth, partly cloudy, 23, Adelaide, sunny, 31 degrees, Melbourne, partly cloudy, 20, Hobart, shower, 2, 16, Albury, Wodonga, sunny, 23, Canberra, mostly sunny, 24, Wollongong, a shower, 2, 22 degrees, Sydney, possible shower, 25, Newcastle, partly cloudy, 26, Brisbane, sunny, 31, Townsville, partly cloudy, 31, Keynes, a shower, 2, 32, Alice, Springs, cloudy day 28, Darwin, a shower 233, and the Torres Strait Islands, a sunny day ahead and the top of 33 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. Coming up next down NITV Radio, well, we'll explore the faster Indigenous Electro Questions Night in Victoria, where a mob from across the state were able to put to politicians questions about issues that matter to them ahead of tomorrow's state elections. As you'll hear, the event ushered in a new era of holding politicians accountable. In your program, we also explore the recent merger of Aurora Education Foundation and the Roberta Sykes Indigenous Education Foundation, a move that aims to, strength, to strengthen and support Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students to realise their full education potential.
NITV Radio will also look at a new development in Tasmania where ancient rock art carvings by Tasmanian Aboriginal ancestors are being repatriated to their ancestral lands. NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook. Last uh, Thursday, Virtual convened an event where the community were able to ask questions with no holds barred to leaders vying for election in uh, the upcoming Victorian state elections. And joining me to discuss the event is uh, Auntie Jill Gallagher, CEO of Virtual. Welcome to NITV Radio, Auntie Jill. Thank you very much for having me. Now, the event, considering the participation, the passion of uh, the discussions, it sounds like uh, the community have questions there, but they feel, first of all, they're not heard. Exactly right. I mean, that question night, which was last week, that was the first time Vacho's ever done anything like that. And it won't be the last. I think it's a great idea to bring, whether it's pre-election or whether it's once the elections are finished, for community to be able to put to leaders of um, our, our state, what concerns them? What are the questions? What what concerns the community at a local level? And I think it's um, that night, uh, that was the first time, there were some um, really good questions being asked. And the, as we know, there was one that was pointed to Peter Walsh, who is the leader of the Nationals here in Victoria. So a uh, very interesting uh, concept. Uh, and I think that's something that we need to do more of. Yeah, and following that question, I remember the question was around uh, racism, prevalence of uh, racism, uh, and uh, the leader of uh, the Nationals was kind of uh, downplaying, but for those on the receiving end of racism, uh, it's there, they feel it, they live it on a daily basis. Oh, can I say, that is so true. Uh, And, you know, that, that remark by Peter Walsh, um, I think it's a, a very naive response that he provided and I would love the opportunity to be able to educate Peter Walsh and his uh, party on the experiences that our people have when it comes to racism. Racism has a, a humongous impact on people and if you've had 250 years of racism, uh, can you imagine what that does to your well-being? So it does exist, and you see it in the uh, system today. You see it in the correctional systems, in the justice system, you see it in the health systems. It is alive, yeah, and it's still happening. It's still happening. Now, just prior to this, Virtual had already outlined what... Uh, is important on our health, but on the health perspective, because as a specialty of virtual. But at that event, people were able to ask questions beyond health. Health, of course, comes uh, came out came across as uh, one area of uh, major concern because there's a lack of uh, infrastructure, lack of funding, uh, a lot yeah. of questions in that area. But the participants really elaborated and went beyond health. And that was that was done purposely um, because. To us as Aboriginal people and Aboriginal communities right across this country, health is just not a clinic. You're not a healthy person or a healthy family if you don't have a house or a roof over your head. You're not a healthy person if you don't have a job. Health is broader than just providing a health clinic. Vacho is a peak body for Aboriginal health and wellbeing 
and that well-being is so important because we care about the health and well-being of Aboriginal people who are incarcerated. Just this year alone, the amount of Aboriginal deaths in custody is um, outrageous. So we wanted everything on the agenda. There was nothing that wasn't uh, applicable to that night to be able to ask for community. Um, and um, I think we need to be able to have more of those forums. And, and the fact that we had 3KND there, 3KND, Cool and Deadly there, uh, live um, broadcasting, I think that also was amazing. So mob who can't get there can listen on the radio. I think that was a really good thing. And also the moderator, Daniel James, who is quite experienced in this space, um, he was amazing, and so was uh, Grant Hansen with his um, comments. But, yeah, it's got to be broader, and it's got to be not just health. Yeah, not just health, because you mentioned uh, the questions that were tabled, including uh, addressing uh, deaths in custody. But one thing that's really disturbing that was discussed, but I believe uh, people still had questions about this, it's uh, the really disturbing uh, increase in suicide rates uh, in the last reporting period it's increased by 75% yeah, Yes the last coroner's report that they released earlier this year earlier this calendar year uh, indicated that suicides in the Victorian Aboriginal community have increased by 75% We actually have been working very hard with state government on how, what do we need to do to address that? Because that's unacceptable. And that tells me that it's not just about services. It's also about our people, you know, that we talked before about the impacts of racism. Um, which, and, you know, and I firmly believe that it's not just about providing a health service or supports for families, but it's also about hope. We've got to have hope that there's going to be a better life for our um, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. There's got to be hope there that things are going to change and that Australia, uh, the rest of Australia, are going to value us as Aboriginal people as the first peoples of this country. That's the important thing. And that hope and that um, the impacts of racism, that's what we need to tackle. When you look at the increase of suicide in our communities, it's a combination of a whole range of things. So we're, we're calling for the government to urgent action, and that action is to set up some sort of urgent task force to work out how we're going to deal with this. Now, the debates were so passionate, all the questions that were curated, uh, you, the panellists, weren't able to answer all of them, and the event even went over time, but... The discussions were so passionate. Now, what would you like to see happen in the next four years? This was the first question that uh, actually the panelists, the moderator started with. We have a four-year election cycle. If you are all to be sitting in uh, this same space in four years' time, what would you like to see improved when it comes to the health and well-being of First Nations people in Victoria? Yeah, you know, and sometimes it's hard to, um, to sometimes it's really hard to respond to such a broad question. But I'd like to see deaths in custody stop. 
I would like to see the over-representation of Aboriginal people in the justice system decreasing. I would like to see um, the rates of Aboriginal children going into out-of-home care decreasing and not increasing, because that's what's happened. That's what I'd like to see in the next four years. Genuine commitment to do that from all governments. That's uh, very powerful, actually. It encompasses uh, the big, big, big issues that uh, were being discussed uh, there. Now, politicians were all in an election mode. They try to show their best. What would be your message to them besides uh, what you just outlined uh, on uh, the delivery side? Because they'll listen, but will they deliver? Well, that's, that's, that's the important thing, you know. And here in Victoria... Um, we, um, I believe what it is, is the other thing that I've called for very strongly, and it didn't come out on that night, but we need oversight. We need a strong, independent oversight mechanism to ensure that these things happen. Now, at this stage, I don't know what that could look like. We're doing a bit of research on that, by the way. With uh, We're in partnership with Luicha Institute uh, yeah. on developing what that would look like. But until we hold, till we have an oversight mechanism to say to governments and to say to the service system, um, why aren't we meeting these targets? What, where have we gone wrong? What do we need to do a little bit different? We don't have that. We just rely on government commitment that that, that they say they're going to do this. We rely on that at face uh, at face value and have faith. But that's not enough no more. We need a proper in this state in Victoria oversight mechanism to hold governments accountable for better outcomes for better outcomes in child protection for better outcomes in um, just over-representation in the justice system and for better outcomes um, uh, in closing the life expectancy gap for Aboriginal Victorians. That's what we need and that's the only way we're going to get change that we're asking for if we have that very independent, powerful oversight mechanism that actually reports to Parliament. It doesn't report to any one minister. It reports to Parliament. That's what we are asking for, and that's when we're going to get change. Auntie Jill Gala, just a parting word before I let you go. I think we as Aboriginal people in this country and in the state of Victoria, we're still here. We have survived. We have, some, we have survived many atrocities that were committed on our people over the past 250 years. But it's time for change now and we need to get real about holding people accountable for those changes. And thank you for listening to me. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. The Aurora Education Foundation has announced that the Roberta Sykes Indigenous Education Foundation Scholarships and Bursaries, RSIEF, will be integrated into Aurora's suite of programs. 
Leila Smith, Aurora Education Foundation CEO, is joining us on NITV Radio to discuss this development. Welcome to NITV Radio, Leila. Hi, it's lovely to be with you. Now, this development will see Aurora and uh, RSIEF combine with uh, RSIEF actually dissolving as a separate organization. How significant is this merger? It's a, it's a really momentous and uh, an exciting occasion. So Roberta Sykes was an author and an activist and she was really committed to promoting Indigenous education opportunities through overseas study and it was the foundation that was named after her, the Roberta Sykes Indigenous Education Foundation. And that foundation has upheld Roberta's legacy for more than 20 years and we have had the pleasure at Aurora of working with the foundation to administer the scholarships and the bursaries in her name. And we've supported more than 100 scholars over that time, myself included. And and that's to not only pursue aspirations overseas through study, but about delivering the benefits of that experience back home to community. So these values between Aurora and the Roberta Sykes Foundation are really closely aligned. And as you mentioned two weeks ago, Aurora announced that the Roberta Sykes Indigenous Education Foundation and their scholarships and bursaries will be integrated into Aurora suite of programs. And the foundation, the Roberta Sykes Foundation, will no longer be a separate organisation. Can you take us through what led to the two organisations come together and uh, merge? This is a reflection of of where we are, and I think it's a really exciting reflection of how far we've come as well. it really was driven by a collective goal for Indigenous leadership. The Roberta Sykes Indigenous Education Foundation recognised you know, the value and the opportunities that would come from working more closely with Aurora. So this means um, Aurora has been collaborating with the foundation and successfully operating our own programs for more than a decade. We work with community we support students together and we also can capitalise on opportunities for funding to But by being under the Aurora umbrella, it's going to sustain the impact and the potential of the Roberta Sykes programs. Because Aurora is an Indigenous organisation, it's also this natural evolution of the Roberta Sykes Indigenous Education Foundation to also become Indigenous-owned and managed too. So for Indigenous students, this means that international pathways for study overseas are not going anywhere, and they're going to be led administered and undertaken by Indigenous people for Indigenous people. The the merger has been uh, uh, announced. How long is it going to take to have uh, the merger fully implemented? What I love about this merger is as far as the students are concerned, as far as communities are concerned, and to the outside eye, everything will look the same. The scholarships will be the same. Um, the, the, The selection criteria... The, the way that we celebrate her legacy will be the same. Um, the, the change in the work will just be done um, under the hood, so to speak. So within the organisation, it's more about um, some administrative changes just internally around, um, you know, things like bank accounts and things like that. It really is um, it really is quite effective from pretty much now, actually, in terms of what it means for students and people outside the organisation. It's a really good news story because it's a one where it's an everyone wins situation, which is a it's a really lovely time to be um to be in Indigenous affairs and in Indigenous leadership to to 
be part of something where the merger is a natural part of an evolution and it feels that way too when it comes to implementing it. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it's going to really improve Indigenous leadership in education, something that you champion. And I remember last time we spoke, it was uh, shortly before the federal elections and uh, you're proposing something unique and powerful. It's the implementation of uh, one particular ministerial portfolio about uh, Indigenous education. Uh, What happened to that proposal since then? Yeah, you're right. Last time we spoke, we were talking about, well, I was particularly talking to you about the need for an Indigenous minister for Indigenous education. I am so pleased to see Linda Burney and Jason Clare talk so consistently about the importance of Indigenous education over the past few months. It's such an important conversation to have, and I'm really, really glad it's been on the agenda. I still believe that we need an assistant minister for Indigenous education. This needs to be a focal point, um, and particularly for Indigenous education policy now and into the future. You know, I think we need to look at the successes that we've had with, uh, say, Indigenous um, with early childhood education, and what are we doing to carry that through to high school? What are we doing to to support Indigenous organisations to to build evidence bases of what works and things that we know work? I think the ideas and, and the, um, the energy that uh, the ministers, Linda Burney and Minister Jason Clare, have put forward is, um, is really promising. Now we need, we need to build on what works, and I, I still think we need an assistant minister for education to push that forward. Well, you put the information out there, you seeded the idea, and I believe uh, didn't uh, land into deaf ears, and uh, one day it will uh, come to fruition. Yes, that's right. It's often a matter of timing, these things, isn't it? Yeah, and, um, yeah. you know, I think it's a really nice tie into how this merger with Roberta Sykes and Aurora is really a matter of timing. And, and it's, it's about making sure that we always have that collective goal for Indigenous leadership and keeping the experiences of Indigenous communities and students front and centre. Um, and then we will know when the time is right. Um, and I think, I think that time is now for an Indigenous education minister, and certainly it is with the future of Roberta Sykes of Indigenous Education Foundation and Aurora too. Now, anything you'd like to add? Maybe we haven't covered or a parting word? I'd just like to just to end on um, a really positive note of something that we are seeing here at Aurora, which is a surge in Indigenous students who are wanting to go overseas and explore opportunities to, to build knowledge and networks overseas. And I think this is something that, if, if, if there are any of your listeners who are thinking about this, or who knows somebody who is thinking about this, there is a wave and a movement happening now and there's communities that are starting to build overseas now that the borders have opened as well. It's a really exciting time, so please get in touch with us if this is something that you're thinking about. Check out our website. We have a whole bunch of opportunities, whether it's a study tour, whether it's a one-week executive bursary or whether it's a postgraduate qualification. Leila Smith, CEO Aurora Education Foundation, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. Ancient rock carvings by Tasmanian Aboriginal ancestors have begun their journey back home to the state's far northwest. The petroglyphs glyphs were cut from the now protected area of uh, Premingana over 60 years ago and displayed at museums in Hobart and Launceston. Saramonda has more. 
Ceremonies have been held in both Launceston and Hobart this week as ancient petroglyphs were finally sent back to where they were removed, Premangana. The rock carvings in Hobart have been in storage since 2005 and the Tasmanian Aboriginal community has fought for decades to have them returned home. An emotional send-off to ensure these ancient petroglyphs are protected on their journey home. Andre Skullthorpe is the Land and Heritage Coordinator at the Tasmanian Aboriginal Centre. We don't do this just for us now, for us alive today. We do it for those people from way back. But we also do it for our children into the future and future generations. When the ancestors created those carvings, they created them at Premangana, they created them with the knowledge of the country of Premangana, they created them with the spiritual beliefs that they had that were derived from their, their lives at Premangana. The story of them reflects those spiritual beliefs, it reflects that country, it reflects the sky, it reflects the sand, and it reflects those people The heavy rock carvings, weighing up to three tonnes, were carried by forklift onto the back of a truck and carefully secured. The petroglyphs stored in Hobart travelled across the state, more than 450 kilometres back to Premangana. The petroglyphs in Launceston were transported over 270 kilometres at the same time. Normally, the drive from Hobart takes about five hours, but it took more than eight hours for the petroglyphs, which arrived at their destination late on Wednesday night. Andre Skullthorpe again. So it's been our obligation to honour the memory and the wishes of those people and to ensure that the repatriation of these carvings is, is undertaken. Each piece of carving has a story on it. Each motive... Each picture, it tells something. But what it really tells us can't really be seen until all those pieces are put back together. If we take a book and we cut a core through the centre, we can read the words on that core, but we can't understand the book. And that's why it's significant to have these things returned. In returning them, we understand these relationships that we have we, that we have as people living now with these carvings and with that land and with each other and what the combination of those, those things coming together means. Last year, the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery apologised for its role in taking the petroglyphs and for perpetuating mistruths about the Tasmanian Aboriginal community. Zoe Rimmer is an Indigenous Fellow for Academic Development at the University of Tasmania and worked for TMAG for 19 years.
To know that it's a really important moment um, for the Pakana community, but also for TMAG um, taking this step, and that's all part of the change that's been happening here and part of the, the museum acknowledging uh, its past practices. There's still a long way to go. There's still lots of things to be done. Um, but I, I think the, the future for the Pakana community and for our cultural treasures that are held in museums, um, I think there's a positive future there that uh, we, can, we can bring community and culture um, all back together on country. Wednesday's event was witnessed by Tasmanian Aboriginal community members and the general public. Thomas Riley is a Pakana man. This is important to me because we're finally getting our petroglyphs back and they're going to be going back to where they belong. Also in attendance was Pakana man Cody Summers. Oh, it's just an amazing day to be something to be a, a part of. It's, going to, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a great send-off with everybody here. Um, with all my mob and my cousins, so yeah, it's just a great moment for Aboriginal people today. An Aboriginal community only celebration will be held this weekend when they're placed back from the rocks where they were taken from. Sarah Maunder, SBS News. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. This uh, brings us to the end of uh, today's program. NITV Radio will be back uh, on Monday with uh, more stories and uh, news from uh, right across the country. Thanking you for your company this Friday afternoon and wishing you a beautiful and safe weekend. Till next time. Bye for now. Yellow. People's movement. People's movement. People's movement. People's movement. People's movement.